Hey everyone. This episode is the second part of a two-part conversation with Soju Operator from Yellow Peril Tactical. If you have not already listened to the first part, I do recommend doing that before you play this episode, as that conversation does carry over somewhat into this one. This discussion will look briefly at assimilation into whiteness and the adoption of reactionary politics among some, uh, some groups of color. And we also talk about some bad trends that we see among leftist gun owners. As always, there is discussion about many facets of violence and some talk about racism. I also want to be very clear that the discussions in this podcast, uh, discussions of any and all types of violence, are purely hypothetical. The analysis that you hear in the podcast is intended to be educational, and uh, really it's nothing more than analysis and commentary. So let's, uh, yeah, let's transition um, into uh, the left and firearms ownership. And, and I'd like to kind of look at at least a little bit what leftists, you know, what, what, sins i guess they're guilty of in relation to the the gun culture the gun industry as we've described it so far yeah yeah certainly you know i i you know i i've only somewhat recently myself delved more into guns and um what i've noticed i feel like this past maybe two years alone we've seen a, a really really large rise of gun ownership from the left and and not just ownership but also numbers but also in organization and also in uh, putting their voice out there as influencers as people who are manufacturers as people who work in the industry and create a new you know equipment and, and gear and accessory things that people need right. and um armor even right like it's great and training stuff so uh i think that's, that's really worth that's that's really something like it, that's it's cool that we're we're making or carving our own path over here yeah. um I okay think a lot yeah. of the, the great stuff comes from you know uh tactical girlfriend's probably the most prominent example as we can we can think of as someone that's not just your bearded white uh, your number 510th uh bearded white guy who's straight and has right-leaning libertarian politics and talks about the same fucking boring equipment over and over again and uh blah 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 all this other shit like yeah there's nothing of new being offered there versus someone that's like hey i'm someone that comes from a marginalized background i'm someone that come that's uh showing you really visually stimulating like artistic ways of portraying like gun ownership too uh, you know um and giving out information that you yet you care about right this is something that's really important to me. So I, you know, as somebody who is in a queer relationship and I am, I am a queer man myself, a queer man of color. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really important to, to me personally to like find, I don't want to say representation, at least not in the like neoliberal conception yeah. of what neoliberal or, uh, excuse me, what representation means. But like, it is, it is certainly helpful to see fellow queer people, and fellow people of color who have not bought into um, kind of like the white supremacist 
ideas of gun ownership and you know who haven't tokenized themselves i i really hate to see that and i i think you mentioned something about that earlier where you were talking about like within the the asian community or the asian the asian pacific islander community that there are you know your fellow asian diaspora wherever they may come from that end up buying into like reactionary ideas about guns and they fully you know they go hardcore into the 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 reactionary politics and the the really shitty politics mm-hmm. um like i don't know why is that do you think oh, yeah um and i think i've probably uh, spoken upon that on in the red dot district but um so a lot of asian americans like when they're when they come to this country they uh like a lot of people try to assimilate right that's a very common trend but a lot of their uh, core beliefs from their, uh, you know, from their traditions, etc. Like you have to understand, like every every tradition, every culture has their own pros and cons, right? Their uh, unaccepting side of things, if you will. So when it comes to coming into here, like they, uh, a lot of them kind of buy into, I have to be uh, conforming to this culture. I have to be the as close as as i can so a lot of asian people like think themselves in here whether or not they admit it or not whether or not they they phrase it this way but post like make them position themselves as close as to whiteness as they can get right mm-hmm. and that's seen across the board like you see that in um even in asian countries like how yeah. k-pop artists look, look more and more white or it's it's considered more uh, attractive to have paler skin or yeah. have your eyelids cut or whatever in a certain way and so uh, in having and also on top of that having these sort of beliefs that are very uh you know uh exclusive like you are part of one group and other people don't belong with you right so a lot of these Asian countries are very homogenous like korea um japan extremely homogenous cultures right it's not like you you know especially it, it was only until relatively recently when you had immigrants living there right right so it's not like uh uh they're used to seeing black people or something like that right now more it's becoming more of a thing now but you know in the u.s so they they they're sort of ingrained with those beliefs right so when you're in here it's why we wonder like oh why is um uh, why are Asians in uh, kind of a lot of times have the same sort of racist beliefs that white people do? Well, just understand like a lot of Asians are actually extremely racist. They're just not as vocal about it, right? Like if you were to be in an Asian household and you were telling your parents that you were about to, uh, you were dating someone that was black or Latina, they would more than likely flip the fucking shit, not even disown you, right? That sort of thing, right? And so we thought also, why do we notice that in Trump rallies? Like, it's not just white people. Who? What's the next demographic? You're probably going to see Asian people there too, right? A lot of a lot of the fucking times. So in the in the gun world, that really translates very similarly. It's like, oh, I have to conform or act just like these kinds of people, or inherently how culturally they were up, they were brought, they already kind of fall in line to that sort of beliefs systems not you're not someone that like cares about being progressive or reaching out to people that are gay like you know in korea if you're openly gay you're asking for a lot of fucking trouble coming your way like uh, a lot of people in korea think that it's like a mental illness that you're gay right it's it's right so it's real fucked up so 
think about that for a second, how that translates over to Korean Americans, right? And out in, in a greater sphere, a lot of East Asian Americans too, bringing those, those sort of beliefs. So like a lot of the times you're bringing in those biases or whatever. So that's why, you know, with, with the yellow apparel, like we don't, we want to promote the idea. It's like, it's not like the way to go, right? We have to be accepting of all people when, when, when we get into the sphere, especially when you're dealing with something that's dangerous with firearms. If, if you go into, uh, ownership of, of a tool that's meant to take a life right and you have really fucking shitty bigoted beliefs and the idea that uh certain people don't belong you are now a hazard to society i don't care who you are that's that is incredibly dangerous you you are now bringing in dangerous ideas to now physically dangerous objects in your hands right and that's gonna that's a recipe for fucking disaster and that's the whole idea it's like we we understand as asians you know at, at yellow apparel that like yeah a lot of a lot of these traditions and beliefs are can be outdated and fucked up from where we come from, but we know that we are the later generation that we know better, right? We want to build a better version of ourselves, especially in our Asian community. More or less, it's kind of what the the mission is there too. I know it's a little bit long winded answer there. Um, I am I did I am a little bit dehydrated from like six hours of training today, but uh, I hope that kind of got the point across. I I think it definitely illustrates um, the point. So I I. I, I don't want to say necessarily that this is the term that we use within the Latin American, you know, South Central American diaspora, but uh, the term model minority comes mm-hmm. to mind. Mm-hmm. And I know that that idea is, is pretty prevalent within the Asian community, the Asian diaspora and, yeah. and ideas about how, uh, you know, within, within the, the Asian diaspora, you end up, assimilating into the kind of white supremacist settler culture yes in order to 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 benefit monetarily and to set yourself up for success i I feel like you probably helped phrase it a little bit better than me uh so definitely because coming here like when you're when you're uh, growing up as asian or or even immigrating like you're brought with the idea like again assimilating but you want the they want to reach that highest form of success but success here is more or less you're you're going to that level of corporate level or being a doctor or being whatever like that that uh, whatever makes the most money et cetera is deemed successful from your culture that coincides with a settler colonist idea of success too right right because success what the fuck is that supposed to mean like if if you become a doctor but all you do is work on the you know you know the, that really high end research in like the nicest hospitals possible and you get your name published and you're up there versus the doctor that goes to the most poverty stricken areas of people who actually need that kind of help the most right right who's really more successful your job is supposed to be helping people but in reality only a certain certain uh, how you position yourself to helping certain kinds of people but tell you right now <laughs> with uh you know asians that they're not going to be proud of the doctor that goes to poor areas doing that sort of thing no not really no they want that fucking harvard doctor that's what they fucking want right right that coincides with the idea of of conforming to white standards whether or not they realize or not they are conforming to the standards of white people and so that's how they more or less fall in line with to put this in a little more like perspective like dylan roof the guy the, the the white supremacist that massacred the black church in south carolina who by the way was wearing a fucking rhodesian flag i wonder why um uh he wrote in his diary i believe he wrote down in his diary that either it was he was saying asians and koreans something like that would make great 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 racist allies 
So internalize that. Think about that for a second. Why would someone say that? Why would he? Why would a a a, a straight up white supremacist go and say that? Because because he himself noticed the trends too. He's not talking out of his ass. He's he's talking from from real historical trends and current events of how a lot of Asians today feel about different minority groups and leveraging that to divide them against each other. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I, we we have the same dynamic within the the South and Central American diaspora, where you know you have the term gusano, which is somebody who I, I think, generally speaking, it is understood to be the idea of the Cuban who left or fled the Cuban Revolution. Oh, in order I to see. pursue like right capitalism or or whatever, you know, some sort of anti-communist, anti-socialist uh, movement. And as as somebody from Venezuela, there there is a large uh, contingent of Venezuelans that are here in the United States that are opposed to the Chavista revolution, if you will, um, where they they are you know supportive of Juan Guaido and and they want to support capitalism and and you know capitalist globalism and so on and so forth. And guess what? These are the same people that are, uh, they are setting, um, you know, people on fire. So that, so I don't remember what year this was, but at least a couple of years ago, uh, the, the pro opposition Venezuelans like straight up murdered some, uh, African, uh, or, or black Venezuelans. And it was purely on the basis of their skin color. They were like, Oh, this, this, you know, this black person must be a Chavista because how else could, uh, you know, how could a black person support what we support? And they straight up murdered and like set on fire this dude. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's brutal and it's gruesome. And, uh, I'm going to have to be sure to include some sort of content warning about that before the episode. But like the, the point is that I think within each of our, diaspora groups there is there is a a subset of of people that fully buy into the white supremacist movement yeah and are willing to sack you know they're willing to give up the ideas of like being a colonized group because they benefit economically or or however Mm -hmm. from from global capitalism yeah i mean I can speak mainly more from a Korean perspective, but a lot of the times you'll see very common trends with among Asian cultures. But for you know, in Korea, like what happened after the Korean War, the country split in half. You have the North and South, and the South was over was you know became more or less a a uh, Western vassal to the U.S. for much for for some time. And the U.S. helped propped up literal fucking like dictators like Korea. This is the yep. shit that, that that white Americans ever want to talk about. That it wasn't all sunshine and fucking rainbows after the Korean War. It wasn't just like freedom just reigned over South Korea. It was all just great. It was amazing. No, we had like three to four literal fucking like uh, either assholes like you know just kept powers themselves or just literal violent military dictators and mm-hmm. people fucking got killed, massacred and shit, killing their own people, sicking the army and, and the. The, the then called KCIA, the Korean version of the CIA, on right. on there, right? And yeah. that's why you had these mass student protests, or, you know, during the seventies and sixties, and, and and like all that impacts, right? The how how the Koreans today uh, developed themselves, and now you know Korea after nineties had the economic boom, and uh, you had uh, 
a lot of liberalism keep in there but like you know in korea uh all the cultural um impact from 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 the u.s it believes in there as i said earlier the whole uh this beauty standard to Koreans looking more pale, cutting your, your eyelids look more wide, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of their shit is a byproduct of American culture. That's what K-pop is. K-pop literally is like if you took 90s pop groups and just turned them into a thing that never ended. That's what that is. Uh, sure. It, it's it's always seen as the I, the standard to like oh we've got to break into the American industry, right? That's why it's a big deal that BTS is in is in, is in the U.S. Right. At the same time. They're all ingrained with supremely anti-leftist, anti-communist uh, beliefs because of North Korea. That's all they have to remember by. Not even realizing that all that's propaganda upon itself, too. Right. 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 So yeah. Um, you know, like I know Koreans who in the U.S. would be considered your, your typical neo-lib, right? But in Korea, they would be considered right-wing. It's it's so fucking weird to observe. Like they'll be yeah. like a fucking communist. Oh, I can't stand it. We we have to only elect presidents that are, that that's going to be hard on North Korea. And then in the U.S., you're like, oh yeah, I I love Hillary Clinton. Trump's a bigot. Trump's so warmongering. <laughs> like they don't even understand. Like the the, the 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 sort of like they are that person that they hate, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And so w- when it comes to Koreans, like. Even even if you were born and raised in Korea, you are under the vast influence of white colonists because that's what South Korea's origins come from, right? So they don't right. really escape that. So it's really no wonder that they bring that level of uh of those of that sort of prejudice and ideas to the U.S. and byproduct the gun industry, right? Well, yeah. if you're an Asian American gun trainer competitor, whatever the fuck, you're gonna be in line with all the white people in charge. That's just bottom line. If you want to make it there, right? Yeah, yeah, and like I feel, I feel like at some level, there's a point where like even even if you are not personally opposed, for example, as um, I'm not going to try to speak for the Korean community, but like as a Venezuelan, if if I'm not personally opposed to the current project of the Venezuelan people and the Venezuelan government to try to create something better while facing uh, economic sanctions by the U.S. government and, and facing violence and attempted coups from the U.S. government, if I want to be successful in the gun world, I've, I probably would have to somehow come out and make some sort of public statement against yep. the, the Chavista revolution and yep. the, the Maduro government. Otherwise I would never make it. And yep. so it's like, yeah. like, you know, there's a, there's a coercion aspect where it's like, I, as, as somebody of the Venezuelan diaspora, I, I would be coerced if I want to be economically successful and, and yes. pay the bills and whatever else. Yes. But like much that same point though, as, as we were alluding to earlier, like uh, you want to make it in the gun industry. Uh, you you better pray to God that 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 you know if someone brings up Israel that you're all pro-Israel. You're just yeah. you're just all up. You're just 110 percent Zionist, right? You can't you can't for a second express sympathy for Palestinians, or whatever, right? That's yeah. the kind of bullshit. It's like this is what we mean. But the culture, if you want to make it there, is overtly appeal to authority, bootlick, and condone genocide, right? It's what it's what they want. Mm-hmm. They and if you can't go outside that box right not if you want to try to quote unquote make it there so that's where like the unspoken truth of it is um so the um you know with with the way that leftists are going about gun ownership and industry today is um 
you know, I want to ask you a question. Like, what do you find the most frustrating trend happening with leftist gun owners right now? So, um, oh, that's a good one. So I, to, to provide some context for that. So, um, with where I am in the country and, uh, some of the leftist groups that I've seen, there's a, there's a certain kind of more high profile lefty gun group that at one point was openly like, Oh, you know, let's facilitate conversations with the three percenters and, um, groups that are at least tangentially like related to those. Mm-hmm. And, um, to me, it's it's the idea that there is a common ground between a leftist political orientation or ideology uh, and guns, and with with um, you know, there's some sort of connection to uh, maybe more right wing or centrist or whatever different ideologies that might also incorporate guns. And what I see a lot of is kind of the same patterns of like fetishizing violence right and believing that the gun is kind of the foremost um tool for political organizing or or at least it's like the end state of political organizing right right and so there's a there's a quote that i'm i'm about to say somewhat drunkenly from memory in relation Mm. to mao so there was a i think mao said it a couple of times throughout his uh his time where he said political power grows from the barrel of a gun and specifically what he was referring to is uh in relation to the ku i'm going to butcher this pronunciation but the kuomintang party oh kuomintang uh, or something like that yeah uh, i know what yeah, you're talking I, about I, yeah, I'll, I'll trust you to pronounce it a little more accurately i i am not a fluent speaker of any any uh you know chinese language whether it's mandarin well, or either, cantonese yeah. or whatever <laughs> But um, yeah. So so the uh, Kuomintang or Kuomintang or however you you may correctly pronounce that, um, he said that they allowed themselves to be governed by the gun. And and Mao said something to the effect of, "We are not. We do not let ourselves be dictated by the gun. We utilize the gun to achieve the political programs or the political objectives that we have set for ourselves as." communists or you know as whatever and i feel like based on my own perception of the leftist gun movement too many people let themselves and and their political movements be be dictated by the gun and so um i think i actually wrote something on the hammer hammer and pistol facebook where it was like if if you think of it as a as a thought experiment if tomorrow you woke up and whatever organization or whatever formation you were in um regardless of how however you're organized if tomorrow guns simply did not exist what would your organization or your formation be doing um you know i i think that it it might actually provide some insight into how you kind of conceive of your your organization within the greater context of like doing work for the people or doing work for, you know, yourself as an organization. I don't know. 
does that make sense what i'm getting at basically no, like I, I think i get it yeah so basically that there's too much of a focus and or obsession over the tools or you know the gun itself versus um yes. i think what you're bringing out to the idea of we should never forget the greater importance of just organizing and understanding how to allocate and distribute our resources and services to people so like you said like if guns just disappear tomorrow it's like what is that do you really have that much of a backbone like a surface structure that's still able to help people outside of the firearm right right so am i am i more or less getting that right yeah so like for example the black panther party i'm not going to claim to be the foremost expert but you know i've I've certainly researched into them and and i think they were one of the most advanced political organizations of yep, their time definitely. and even of our time definitely. and so like if you took away guns from the the overall black panther party program you know what? They were still feeding yes. poor kids in Oakland and in other in other neighborhoods. And they still had a political program and a means of disseminating political right. education. There was a backbone. There was a structure behind it. It wasn't just that guns were a tool for them. They understood that was the best tool for defense given right. the fucking 21st century, right? Or 20th century. And yeah. uh uh, that like it was just a means to an end. It was not their identity. It was right. not just oh, I don't have an AR. I guess uh, I'm done here. I guess I can't do anything. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so my my problem with some of the lefty or you know leftish oriented movements is that they focus so much on the gun that they lose sight of the fact that being a leftist, whether you are an anarchist or you are a communist or whatever brand of leftism you want to say you are. You are, uh, at least on paper, you should theoretically be committed to uplifting hum humans because they are fellow humans. You you are removing oppression uh -huh. and you are removing barriers to them thriving. And, right. you know, it's it's beyond just survival. It's it's about uplifting fellow yes. humankind. Right, right. And then they're like, oh, by the way, we only organize around guns, you know we are a some sort of community defense organization that you know in the absence of guns are you still defending the community or right. you disappear as soon as right. like oh there's no more guns well are you still feeding the community or right. are you still providing support to the community i, I think That's a great analogy would be you're that you're that fucking gun guy that owns like 50 guns but you don't know how to use a tourniquet yeah right? yeah absolutely you that, don't know how to use an ifac that's that's certainly the right wing <laughs> yeah, parallel yeah. to it. Yeah. But essentially it's it's the exact same thing where it's like you are so reliant on firearms or or the tools of violence that you forget the part where you're not actually committed to violence. You're committed to uplifting other people. Mm -hmm. And any any form of violence that you engage in is specifically to support the overall objective of removing uh any forms of oppression over people you know mm -hmm. breaking the chains if you will right and and so i my impression and i'm not going to claim that i have a whole bunch of organizing experience within the lefty you know world but my impression is that a lot of groups focus on that violence part mm -hmm. but they're not ready to commit to you know feeding people they're not ready to commit to yeah. providing uh the other aspects of right right society you know yeah i i don't know if that makes sense i know 100 i'm a few drinks sense. in so i'm no I'm you're, you're 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 right though and like i i it's like 
they're not into the non-sexy parts of organizing, which includes grinding it out, which includes talking to people, which includes setting up structures of medical aid or food or whatever, like the things that actually matter, like that human beings need, need to function. Because, I mean, let's let's be honest, guns are cool. Guns are sexy. It's fun and all. But yeah, that yeah. is like a very small part of what you're – a true organized political effort should consist of, as you said, Black Panthers weren't just gun owners. That is an important, it's an important part, but it's a small part. They were community leaders. They were community defenders. And they, uh, they were committed to be, of setting up structures beyond the gun. Correct. And I, I, that's yeah. a great point. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that, but I knew, I know inherently, like I, I I've seen this before and, I, and I'm totally in, in a, in agreement there. I think the biggest thing for me that I guess maybe illustrates the point is that um, I, I don't think it was Fred Hampton. I th- it may have been Huey Newton, but um, essentially the way that they viewed guns, they were like, if you are going to carry a gun and you're going to do so publicly, it's, it's because you are willing to use it. And if it yes. is not, if it is not a situation or if it's not a context in your, in which you are willing to use it, then don't carry the fucking weapon. God, I couldn't agree more. Holy shit. In my, ex- and, oh, fucking Christ. Yeah. In my experience, when I've been out, out there and I've seen, you know, I've been at the protests, whatever, and there's always like that, that one buffoon that's just like open carrying the AR for like no purpose, <laughs> no, no discernible reason to do so. You're going right. to come out here and brandish a weapon meant to take someone's life right mm-hmm. what are you doing it for and you know this fucker ain't ready for shit he ain't ready for right. violence you have an ar with a shitty sling and no chest rig no medical equipment on your body <laughs> no, no optic no optic <laughs> uh you, you don't have an organ you don't have radios you're not organized with anyone to coordinate shit i i said shit happens all the fucking time and like yeah. it's like we, we we'll rag on right wingers doing that shit too but like the left ain't free of criticism either like in fact we have to be more critical yeah we we should be more critical of ourselves because we we have to hold excuse me we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard yeah so like yeah um so with the black panthers for example and any of these other armed you know national liberation movements that were specific to the u.s situation of you know colonized groups when they carried guns i'm pretty sure it was because they were ready to like in the Black Panther situation, the cops are fucking brutalizing yeah. uh, black people on the streets of Oakland and other other neighborhoods within various cities around the country. And the Black Panthers were like, you know what? If you're going to sit there and, and murder us in cold blood, then we're going to shoot back. Yeah. And, Straight up. And if they're not willing to actually pull that trigger to shoot back. You're like, a liability at that point. Right, you're a liability, and and so, and, and and this is not me sitting here saying that I encourage you know any sort of violence because, right. um, yeah, that's that's not legal. Right, but no, like what 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 your point is is to understand violence, to understand what it takes to go there, and that to do these performative gestures just uh might make you look cool in the gram, but in reality, people who do who know what that takes, you just look stupid and you right. look childish. Yeah, so like not really helping anyone. Yeah, so like you know, if if I show up to a protest and I am concealed carrying with the hope that I never have to draw my gun, and this is truly my 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 personal situation, I hope I never have to draw, whether it's concealed carry, open carry, whatever. I hope I never have to shoot another human because I think human life should be preserved. Um, 
I am realistic about the idea that, you know, various human lives don't perceive life on that same level of like significance or importance. But I, I hope that I personally never have to draw a gun and, and aim it at another person and pull the trigger because that would tear me apart. Like I have a hard time, like, like when we're gardening and, and my place and, and there's a rat that is destroying all of our crops and like, we may not have food if we don't take care of the rats. I have a hard time harming the rats and setting traps to passively kill the rats. I, I hope I never have to harm another living being, right. let alone another human. Yeah. But I acknowledge that if a Nazi shows up and starts shooting up the supermarket that I'm chilling in or starts shooting up a protest that I'm with fellow people of color at, you know what? I'm going to return fire and I'm going to suck up whatever, whatever uh, hesitations I might personally have to committing violence. And I will do what I have to do to preserve life. And right. then there are people who open carry that um, they don't open carry because they, they view themselves as being part of that preservation of life. They open carry because they view it as some edgy political statement. Yep. It's literally a political statement. It's not because they have, they don't have a plan. And here's my other issue right here is, as you said earlier, the left is just as uh, prone to fantasizing about violence. The right is. And like, the thing is these people don't understand violence. They don't understand what happens in violence. They don't really truly understand. Right. Right. When, when you have to take a human life, it changes you forever. It further worse much, you know, and to to you know again with the boogaloo people too to like who like fantasize about like having like a civil war happening like you don't want that like when it happens uh it's disgusting like it's really it's gonna fuck you up internally and here's yep. the other side that people don't, don't want to talk about is that you may have your that that ideological enemy and you you know you what your enemy is you know the enemy is like may for instance the nazi whatever right cool good on you or you should also realize that the people that that said Nazi associates with could be people that you know, or could be people that are, lib- you know, centrists, or you know, kids who don't fucking know better, who get caught in the crossfire and this, you know, this hypothetical conflict. It's not something that you should just willy nilly come into either. Uh, for the for the fun of it, of what you think is going to be great, or number two, like because you didn't prepare for it, so that's the that's the sort of the other side of it. So, uh, you know, I there have been people in the, in the fucking you know the group that they're like, and you quickly discern that they're just dumb liberals who just don't deserve <laughs> to be here because they don't understand what the fuck they're doing and or talking about, and yeah. they're like the. The meme will be like fantasized, like yeah, I can't wait to kill these stupid, uh, like you know, you know the fantasize, like yeah, I can't, like you know, I wish a Nazi would just come up here so I have like just the excuse to extinguish him. And like we comment, like no, you fucking don't. You don't actually want that. You don't know what the fuck you're asking for. You know, on top of the whole like really like pathetic like you know, thinly veiled body shaming comments, they'll throw in there too, right? It's just like no, you don't even understand what you're asking for. And the people who 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 fantasize about violence are either a sociopaths or two people who have never done it before, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So the the thing for me personally that I it's one of the most significant experiences in my life. So um, when I was in infantry school back in 2010, I had a drill sergeant who had been in the invasion of both Afghanistan and Iraq, and 
Um, of course, when you're in infantry school with the military, with the army, U.S. Army, they're, they are all about training you to want to see what they call the pink mist. It's the idea that you're going to shoot another human and you're going to relish in that experience because they are they are a subhuman uh, category because, you know, they are Taliban or Iraqi right. or, or, you know, some other racialized group. And um, so there was one night where I was, uh, you pull what's called fire guard when you're in like basic tra- or in, in a lot of military experiences, but specifically in basic training, you pull fire guard. So it's like the hour of the night or the two hours of the night where you have to stay awake and, you know, every hour on the hour, keep account of how many people are in their, in their beds and make sure no one ran away in the middle of the night. And it's, it's part of the, the fuck fuck games of the military. And so, um, in the middle of the night, my drill sergeant walks in and I think he was a little bit drunk because back in 2010, they didn't have a really good time of like enforcing the standards in the military. This is, this was a period when, you know, this was post surge and they were letting everyone and anyone in and they would sign, um, waivers. So like, didn't matter if you had a felony conviction or various other things. They would just say, yeah, you know what? We're going to waive that because we need someone to go catch bullets for the U S government. And so anyways, um, that's a little bit of, of a digression, but this drill sergeant, he, uh, he, he and I were talking and, um, he was like, he was like, man, I, I really hope you don't find yourself in a situation where you have to pull the trigger. And I was like, well, you know, drill sergeant, why is that? And he was like, it fucks you up, man. Like, I don't know how to convey this to you, but it absolutely fucks you up. Straight up. And, and at, at the end of our conversation, I was sitting here like, what the fuck have I done enlisting in the infantry? And, right. and you know, right. Cause, uh, cause the picture that he painted, uh, was, was basically a very grim one of like, this is going to fuck you up. And if you ever pull that trigger on another human being, it is going to stick with you for the rest of your life. And you're not going to be able to sleep and you're going to wake up from nightmares from this. Mm-hmm. And you know, as, as I said earlier, I have never fired a shot in combat. You know, I was deployed to a combat zone, uh, but I have never raised my weapon at another human being and shot it for the U.S. military. Right. Um, and I'm very grateful for that that opportunity to never have to do that. Mm-hmm. But there were yeah. certainly situations where I thought I was going to have to shoot people and where I, you know, was was essentially ready to. And even even the act of committing to possibly shooting people fundamentally changes you. Yeah. And um, I, I do not like the person that I was at that time. And uh, I have a lot of guilt associated with that period of my life and, and some other issues that stem from that period of my life. And I'm sure some, someone listening, some right winger in bad faith might say, Oh, you know what a, what a wuss. Yeah. But whatever, I don't fucking care because you know what? I didn't have to kill another fellow human being. Yeah, I, like, I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I know people who, you know, they were they were in the military and during Iraq and Afghanistan during a war and have yeah. had to do have had to take human life. And yeah, yeah it it destroys you. Um, if you have a if you have a soul and you have a conscience, it will destroy you. Like it, it is, you know, r- regardless of where you come from, the act of using violence against a fellow human to that degree is something that fundamentally will change you. 
you know, whether it's for better or for worse, that's a matter of interpretation, but it will fundamentally change you regardless. Yeah. Because, you know, as kindergartners, we're not, we're not taught to like view other people as targets to kill. This is something that as we develop into adults and we get exposed to the baggage of the adult world and the violence of the adult world, we, you know, we start kind of taking on those ideas about the world. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, it, it is something that changes you, whether or not you even do it. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm necessarily super fucked up in the head or anything, but I know people that are because they were trained to have to shoot another human being and they didn't get that opportunity to, and they don't get any sort of closure on that training. And so like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just to me, it's like on the left, there's a lot of LARPing from people who don't understand what that means at this like metaphysical level or this metaphysical understanding of how you're going to go through it. This uh, metamorphosis Uh into a different being just from the act of having committed violence or perpetrated right. violence. Right. I, the, I don't know. It, yeah, no. Um, and that's a very important perspective to put in there. So like, again, and this is everyone, it's like the whole gun world as a whole is, is a victim to this, to the idea of there's the, I, it, it's, it's so, it's so funny how little has changed despite so much, so much time. Like, you know, if you were like in like world war one and or world war two, and you told a bunch of dumb, young, impressionable kids, Hey, go to new war is awesome. It is great to fight and murder people for your country. Go ahead and do that. And they come back. Oh, that was fucking shit. And I, my soul is removed from my body now. Right. But yeah. like, we know this now we have centuries of you know like development we have technology we have all these films that tell us about it science etc and yet we still fall victim to that sort of idea maybe to a different extent but it's still there right larpin you know getting suited up and kidding don't get me wrong i'm all about getting kidding that's you know it's cool i like i'm a gear guy it's fun i like having protection on me cool right but then it's like what is the why right why are you doing this right because if you're out there uh, thinking to yourself that you know it's as simple as it's going to translate from the flat range to the real world right where i just shoot that paper target and that paper target is going to be a guy it's like no it's it, it might be like that for the first five seconds after pulling that trigger but afterwards it's it's going to hit you bad and yeah uh, yeah and that's why like we should not be as leftists out here overly inflating it, the idea of like getting into a fucking pitched firefight with people that's like not what right. your end goal should be and i get like you said earlier the priority should be you need to be uplifting your local community defense is a last resort we use that term last resort for a reason it means last resort or not it should not be the mission to be antagonizing and uh, um, hoping to get into a fight because right. you you are a danger to yourself and everyone around you at that point, right? Oh um, yeah. And yeah. so that's a that's a very very important very I I think it needs to be voiced more often than what the point you just made there. Um, yeah. You know, like with my kind of frustrations with with the leftist gun world right now is a little bit more lighthearted than what you said earlier. It has more to do with the actual gun training side, but like. The idea that um, owning certain kinds of equipment or encouraging others to own certain kinds of equipment, like high, like 
good equipment is somehow classes, right? And also in combination in, in related to that is the uh what I what we've termed red buds. So these are like leftists that have again, it kind of goes to your other point, have not graduated the past the idea of fantasy. So it's like they purposely choose incredibly decades old outdated technology equipment and guns uh not because they honestly believe it's practical because it's not it's because they want to like they they have that imagery of communist states during the cold war and want to yeah. adhere to it as close as they can even though it has no bearing in, in real world right now yeah and so it's, yeah it's, it's um what do we call it larperator so yeah if you've never heard that term before, it is the combination of the term LARPer and operator. Operator <laughs> referring to like like you know special forces or high end, high level training, you know, in in a gun context. Um, yeah, so I think this is something that I personally absolutely detest within the leftist um, gun world or gun movement is is the the attachment to aesthetics. Oh yeah. So it's like God. you know, I okay. I am I myself I am a socialist. Uh you know, at one point I identified more with like an anarchistic uh conception of the world. Um and I I for reasons that I'm not going to go into here, um you know, I I have certainly changed. But there are people who would um whether they are anarchists socialists communists what have you they would say that they're uh you know they they have some conception of like a pinnacle of their ideology so like communists perceive uh communist russia or socialist russia as the pinnacle of communist ideology exactly yeah and anarchists perceive um uh what is it the the um uh spain Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like, like this this anarchist, anarcho-syndicalist idea right. of of society that that uh, was once achieved in Spain for six months before um, they ended up getting torn apart by both the fascist Franco regime as well as the communists. Um, yeah, a, a lot of violence is is the bottom line, but um, they they are more worried about the aesthetic of their so-called political ideology than they are about the actual things they stand for. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And like that translates like everywhere with leftist gun owners. So it's <laughs> like the, I would say the most, the, the least harmful of those kinds of people that like adhere to a certain gun leftist aesthetic are like the people who are like super into AKs. That's fine. Like an AK to this day is still a fighting weapon. Okay, right. I'm I'm fine with that. As long as you're you're using like modern iterations of AKs and, and putting on those things, and you're doing what you can. Obviously, we want you to work with what you have, like the what you can reasonably afford. We're not saying everyone needs to go get a fucking uh, Daniel Defense, all right? Or everyone needs to get fucking Zenico furniture. It's not what we're saying, right? But what we are saying is that you need to have a practical mindset because this is a world that involves life or death. And if you're being a fucking clown right now, adhering to like what a uh, uh, um, a 1960s aesthetic of you know uh, communism as your reason to be armed, you are a liability once again, right? So yeah. one of the worst egregious examples are like people who like this. Ha this is, happens all the time. 
an SKS is just as good as an AR. It's like, oh fuck me, <laughs> like you. Oh my you, god. Like, th- and this is the thing I want to say. Like this is what I mean by leftists. You need to have standards. You have to understand how this world works. It's not like the piece of equipment you are using was disregarded by the very people that made them within like the same like what was it a year or so when the SKS was like uh, replaced by the AK like. Right. They already knew we have something better, and we're going to stick with it because we're not idiots, right? right? Uh, being being a, a socialist means that you you need to get the best things you can get with your material conditions and encourage others to do so. It does not mean you adhere to uh, ass backward school of thought, right? right. And that's the thing we try to put out there. And, you know, YPT, we we made a post in our story about. Uh, uh, literally doing a, a price comparison between getting an SKS and the necessary equipment you would need to run that versus just getting a PSA AR out of the box. And right. it was just like slightly cheaper or even just the same amount. And you right. you've, you have actually developed a more efficient defensive tool than just getting a fucking SKS. Or right. these stupid, like, you know, uh, outdated historical weapons that actually cost more than a lot of times, right? To maintain everything. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's, um, so like, so what you're talking about is like getting the SKS, which was created in, I don't know. It was pre-World War II, wasn't it? When the SKS was uh, created? Mm, no, that was after World War II. After World War II. Okay. Well, my, my bad. Um, but r- regardless of whichever weapon system, let's say that, you know, this weapon system was considered at the time to be the pinnacle of achievement. And then, it was used and it had its successes. It had its failures. And then the next iteration of that gun or, or even a better system came about mm-hmm. the ability to say, you know what, this served its purpose and now we can move past it and we can move on to the newer technology that to me is, is more in line with, um, and this is probably kind of a, a bastardization of the idea, but like, uh, Engels wrote on the nature of scientific socialism as opposed to utopian socialism. The idea was that uh, achieving socialism in the socialist revolution was a scientific process that where we had to take um, data and you know kind of take like a scientific approach to creating socialism and constantly refine it to the point that we can we can know that what we are doing is going to work. Yeah, um, if that makes sense. So, like, no, that makes complete sense. So, so applying that to guns, it's like, you know what? In 1942, when this weapon system worked, that's fine. If it worked at the time, that's fine. And it's okay to say, you know what? In 1950, this gun worked, and in 1962, this gun worked. You know, whatever, whatever the dates are, it doesn't matter. If we are able, as socialists, as anarchists, as communists, to accept a change in technology, which is a material change because you know it is something that exists in the real world that has a measurable difference from what existed previously if we are if we are able to incorporate those changes in a way that is uh focusing on optimizing ballistics or or even setting aside gun specific terms if we optimize the technology for our purposes it should not matter if that gun was created by the most fascistic or Nazi state, because that gun works. Right. What do we like? What do people think the French resistance were using? 
or the Dutch, they were taking out a lot of stolen Nazi guns and using it against the fucking Germans because yeah. it made sense. Because guess what? You got plenty of parts lying around. You got ammo that works. You got magazines lying around. Like, like yeah, fucking absolutely. use your common sense here for a second, right? Absolutely. It's it's um in the words of some of the people that founded um maybe the the original iterations of the rifle uh what's it called the socialist rifle association a, a rifle in the hands of a socialist is a socialist rifle mm-hmm. and you know insert whatever political tendency doesn't matter i would say that holds true a nazi or a, a, a rifle in the hands of a nazi is a nazi rifle a rifle in the hands of an anarchist is an anarchist rifle and that's because it is simply a tool it is nothing more than that. It doesn't have its own agency as right. as a tool. And I think that people, especially leftists, uh, they append too much agency or or too much significance on the basis of the aesthetics right. to that to that tool. When you know, if if tomorrow guns no longer existed, I don't care what miraculous, magical, whatever uh, situation or event happened. If guns no longer existed, then guess what? You know, this knife I have or this machete I have, that is a socialist machete. I think that within the leftist uh, milieu of gun supporters, gun owners, what have you, there's definitely, uh, I guess, a pattern of like people not being able to look at the utility or the immediate material impact it has, instead focusing on the aesthetics and the symbolism and so on and so forth. And really, um, I don't know, engaging in like a almost like liberal uh, conception. Yeah, it's it's really not too dissimilar to people who adhere to like brands of products of consumer goods. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, really, are you really that much better than, than those kinds of people? They're like, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I adhere to fucking, you know, Toyota right over forward or whatever the fuck it's like right like whatever like what what is the most relevant tool that's going to get you there right and right the uh you know the the other side of that argument because the sort of mental gymnastics justification of having like you know a lack of a better term shitty equipment is is just like claiming that what she, that that like that clearly outdated piece of equipment they have and saying just as good it's just as good as a modern weapon or this optic that was clearly made for airsoft is just as good as a genuine a tech or some bullshit, right? Like yeah. that is nope, not true at all. And yeah. if you think that's because you have not seriously ran your equipment in any capacity, that means anything. Yeah. So like we want to be clear that yes, work within what you can reasonably afford your, your material conditions, your budget, whatever you want to call it. Right. But understand that there is a difference between quality and that quality can uh can only help you if you go up higher in there right don't get me wrong there are diminishing returns i would argue like getting in the end of the fence is kind of overspending at that point but like right. you know getting a uh anderson ar probably which is a, a reputation of it shattering and not working well etc versus going to an aero precision big difference right and you pay right. a couple hundred more for it, but you're not, you know, you don't have to obliterate your bank account to do so, right? It's right. just people need to understand uh, 
do your research. Look at what the people who train with these regularly are doing. What are the standards being uh, applied here? And what is the track record of that equi equipment, right? Like, okay, has it been proven? Like, who's using this right now? What, how long has it been used for? Now, what's been changed with that piece of equipment over time, you know? And so, you know, it, it gets even worse with armor. Oh, man. It gets, because it's it's not really any one individual's a person's fault it's the fact that the armor industry as a whole is purposely written vague as fuck and misleading as hell like getting into yeah. armor was a fucking uh you know uh, a test of trial and error and and just a lot of research my own it's it's so annoying and what i mean by that for those who don't know is that there are standards for armor called the you know the national um institute of justice right and ij yeah correct they do the official like ratings of your armor, pieces of armor, or what it's rated for, what it's rated meant to stop at certain distances and calibers and loads. And their testing is rigorous in terms of like, hey, you know, on these certain conditions that are adverse, how will, how will it hold up? What kind of actual uh, measurable damage could it do? Could it uh, could that round do in that piece of armor on a human body, a simulated human body, whatever? And that term NIJ is tossed around like candy when it comes to these third-party uh, when it comes to a lot of these armor manufacturers, because they will mislead you with, with certain, you know, text or certain wording saying tested to NIJ standards. That does not mean that it was the NIJ that did it. And that matters too. If you, if you want that sort of peace of mind guarantee that a reputable institute did it, or someone says like, what was it? Um, independent testing has, you mm -hmm. know, similar to NIJ or something like that, right? That's just right. the they're the ones that tested it. Do you really want to take their word for it from the people that are trying to sell it to you? And that's my, you know, that that's like my thing with that too. And and like you you'll when it comes to the whole argument that it's this really crappy tier equipment is just as good. So people who are who run steel and tell you that it's just as good and, and it's cheaper than, than ceramics or polyethylene. And it's like, okay, do you honestly want to gamble your life? On saving a couple hundred bucks, and I get it; it's tempting. You know, fucking AR five hundred selling their god awful, you know, uh, pair uh, what two plates in a in a, in a in a plate carrier for like a little like three hundred or something like that. I forget what it was, and you know, it, it, and you watched their really shitty, misleading videos where it's like, oh, we're we're shooting it in our lab, and it works great, like. It pro it's not a concern of that. Anyone can take a one piece of equipment and make it look good for the camera. That doesn't mean that it's consistent across the board. And not okay. to mention, like when it comes to armor, you have to physically carry these things. You have to take into account the weight. You have to take into account uh, things like falling and the things that they don't tell you about how you know anti-spalling uh, coating works and how that can fall apart pretty easily um, among these other things too so like armor it gets even worse in my opinion than than guns because yeah. with guns you know if, if it's a reasonably made firearm you know it goes bang and, you, and you're sitting around at a target but now when you're the other end of that receiving around i really don't think you should be compromising on that on what, what's going to save your life there Right. And, and, you know, there, there are some legitimate obstacles that especially those on the left face compared to the right, because the right, oh, ultimately, the, the right are the ones that have the resources, they have specifically the money to buy all this shit. Yeah. And then the, the support and the backing of those in the industry that would even be producing this stuff. Um, on the left, I mean, you're talking like neurodivergent, 
uh, gender non-conforming, queer yep. people, people of Underfunded. color. Underfunded. Underfunded, don't have the access to the same resources. So like, you know, at, on one level, it's like, you know what? Take what you can get. And I, I sympathize with that. But then when you look at the data, when you look at the performance in terms of the ballistics and and the ability to stop, um, you know, serious damage happening to your body uh, with with that limited technology, it's like, you know what? Sometimes you have to acknowledge that even though this might be the the proletarian answer to armor by buying the three hundred dollar steel plate carrier, whatever that damage that could occur um, that might be more detrimental to the cause yeah. than if you, you know, figure out a way to fund the extra $200 to buy ceramics and, you know, or, or some other form of technology with armor and, you know, get something that's not going to um, spall or, or fragment and, and, you know, blow back into you and kill you. Right. That the, so, I, I, and I, I think you and I observed this somewhat recently, but like there, there are like, uh, Lano leftists, uh, you know, custom gunsmiths or leftists, armor manufacturers or leftists, uh, trainers, mm-hmm. etc. And there's this sort of idea that, like, yeah, we want to support leftists. Great, awesome, do that. You know, I'm I'm all about that. But we should not be out here encouraging people that put out subpar services, right? Right. And you remember what was it? Fucking thousand pikes uh oh yeah so you know so what i'm talking about right yeah, there's two companies thousand pikes with substandard gunsmithing services yeah and then um earth works oh or, earth oh god fuck oh fuck that's bad so yeah, let, let so, me talk about thousand pikes real quick and you can talk okay. about Earthworks. Yeah, yeah so i think you know a little bit more than i do regarding that oh a thousand pikes like i've i followed them for a little bit and I, things were not adding up. They were really iffy. For number one, they were they were pushing steel armor on their website. And yeah. for those who don't know, like yeah, they're an FFL. They they have a gunsmithing services. They sell firearms too. And uh, a user, uh, uh, one of their customers that had made a post, and we had seen it that they got their optic cut under, I believe it was a Glock or something like that, back. Yeah. And they were, I think they were attempting to install a hollow sun 508 or something like that on there through a mill cut, right? Um, uh, you know, more or less, Thousand Pikes horrendously fucked it up, and they didn't like, they did not, they were not transparent with communication about what was going on, what was taking it so long, and when it came back, it's like, it's ugly as shit. It was not fitted well. It certainly wasn't going to hold zero, and like mm-hmm. hundred dollars were spent. So now that that customer who is left, us, by the way, who does not have a whole lot of funds, put all that money in there, believing, hey, I want to support. I'm going to put this money in there. I'm going to support a leftist uh, company. Oh, guess what? Now, guess what? Now they have to spend even more hundreds to re- repair that fuck up that they just induced upon there. When they yeah. could have just gone to a rep- reputable, like right wing gun uh, smith and just get it done correctly the first time. And this is what I mean to people: is yes, we want to support leftists, but support the right kind of people who do the right kind of work. We should never encourage shitty behavior and subpar things that actually just hurt the community at large. Right. And uh, at the end of the day, there is no ethical consumption under capitals we say that all the time but i don't think people really understand what that means like uh you didn't choose to live in a world ruled by capitalism right therefore you don't really get to choose like where you get things that you really honestly need based on who made what and how that labor was made you know across the board you know when, when the food you consume was probably what picked and packed by uh you know 
uh, underpaid workers in some other country and shipped over here? Do you honestly have control of that? Are you honestly going to go to every little thing that you ever consumed in life and ensure that it had nothing to do with imperialism? No, you're fucking not. Be realistic, right? And also be realistic with your with your with your firearm ownership. Yeah, no, it's it's really tricky to navigate this because again, we want to support and uplift the leftists that are trying to do the work. And they have to learn. They have to start somewhere. Oh, yeah, of course. And yeah. and the the unfortunate thing is that uh, overall, the capitalist world, the capitalist markets are rife with grifters. Oh, and yeah. I, I I wish I could say it were different, but I I truly believe that even those who might claim a leftist approach, if they fall within the system, you know, there might be some level of uh grifting if you will that's mm-hmm. um you know they're, they're going to be participating in that overall process and so for the companies that maybe are not as um i don't know they don't have as quite as much institutional knowledge or or they are performing at a substandard level you know are they doing it because they truly need to learn or are they doing it because they're trying to capitalize off of that right and right. and i'm i'm not trying to speak ill of fellow leftists or those who claim they are i um you know i'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt but if i have if i have 500 dollars to my name and i've decided that an optic cut for my pistol that's going to be 200 dollars if if i've decided that i'm going to spend of the 500 dollars that i have 200 dollars of that you know, I don't want it to be some shitty, like they're not able to do the job and competent mm-hmm. outfit, regardless of their political affiliation. Right. I personally would prefer to get it done the right way the first time. Right. Right. Regardless of their political affiliation. And and like here's my thing too. It's like it's not even the fact that that you know that okay, maybe you can't do the job, but be transparent about it. Cause this is someone's lot, you know, time and money and resources that they're yeah lending on to you and good intentions only get you so far right you either you know it or you don't and that comes also within like the leftist uh uh street medic world which oh fuck me like uh you know i i i have been in like sort of ad hoc medical sessions hot to bleed from someone that clearly didn't know what the fuck she was talking about and and like does not understand how to do research or never applied any of this like telling people like that I'm with that if you apply a tourniquet, you better be prepared to lose the limb, which is like complete hog shit information. Like, what do you, what, what did you learn medical aid from 1950s? Like what the fuck yeah. are you talking about? Well, I mean, and, and a lot of that, I, I don't want to necessarily uh, assign any sort of like bad. Um, I, I don't want to assign anything bad to that because for the longest time, you know, so I, I joined in the military 2009, um, and throughout my experience in the military, like 2012, even I remember still hearing like, yeah, if you put a tourniquet on, you better write down the time that they got their tourniquet, because depending on how long after they get the tourniquet, they might lose their limb due to compartment syndrome or whatever. And that was just the accepted knowledge. And then when I did combat lifesaver retraining in 2015, it was like, you know what, at this point, just throw a tourniquet on there because it's better than bleeding out due to arterial bleeding. Right. And, uh, you know, not trying to get necessarily too technical, but like, I, th- I think that uh, in many instances, there there are people that had from the time that they learned it at ad- um, not adequate, accurate, accurate knowledge. 
that maybe uh, just didn't hold up to like the the couple of years past when they learned it. Right. So that's, and, but it's, that's it's my not thing. like a malicious thing. Right. My thing is like the when people d- the greater point is if you're going to push out information service uh supposed life-saving skill and you did not even do an ounce of a google search that's on you like you are the irresponsible party like to me there's no excuse for that if you're in at the time it was 2020 if you're in uh the year 2020 and you're pushing information that is decades outdated anyone that knows anything about who actually does this will tell you you're fucking wrong as shit right now. Like, I yeah. knew that, and I am by no means a medic or someone pretending that it had a, an experience in there, right? Like, right. that's what I mean. Like, good intentions don't ultimately mean a whole lot if you can't back it up, right? That's and that, right. That, that, yeah. doubles, that doubles in medical, and that doubles in, in firearms usage too, right? Teaching, like, improper methods or unsafe ideas or techniques because you were sure. too lazy to bother to keep up to date. And that's what I mean by, like, I say this all the time, like, people tell me that I'm for military and, and not talking about you at all. Like, people who flaunt the idea that they're former military like it translates to a competency of firearm usage and more than often than not, is not the case like at all. Because yeah. it's one because, again, <laughs> you're right, though, about completely correct i agree about hey i learned this in this time period of my service versus how much has happened and evolved until now and that's right. why it, it's up to everyone i'm not just talking military but everyone you keep up to date with knowledge and you apply and you keep going and i know it can be easier said than done but i'm gonna say at the very least look it up right yeah. and and check the resources right hey there is an entire tactical uh first aid organization that deals with this sort of thing that is made by guys who do this for a living and have applied it in the battlefield. Listen to them. Right. Right. Uh, that sort of thing. So it's just, you know, it, that it's really not that different from that stupid trend on Facebook where it was like, Hey, if you're at a protest and you get pepper sprayed, you should pour milk down your eyes. Oh my God. And no, it's just, like a- anyone uh, who says that you should put milk or other, um, you know, supposedly natural or organic, you know, whatever on your, on your eyes, that isn't just water. That, that is something else. (laughs) Yeah. Something else entirely. Just, just only use water. Don't put anything else in your eyes because you could end up with all sorts of weird infections and whatever. Yeah. I I will say I enjoyed it when baked Alaska poured fucking milk in his face and live. Oh my God. Fucking hilarious. Yeah. But also fuck baked Alaska. Yeah. Fuck that guy. All right. So my last question for you. Yeah. uh, Before we wrap this up is, um, so we've kind of talked a little bit about like the problems that exist within uh, leftist gun culture. I really hate to use the term culture because um, yeah, especially as people of color, like we have cultures that are relative to our, um, our ethic backgrounds. And I don't, I don't think guns should ever constitute any sort of like uh, identity or anything like that. But anyways, that's just my, my tipsy ramblings. Um, How do you think that the left could grow beyond some of these uh maybe bad or shitty ideas about guns that we have like like what could we do as leftists as anti-capitalists as communists anarchists socialists what have you how do we um crush the the right-wing influences about the nature of violence and the nature of guns and how those fit together Mm -hmm. and how do we grow past that to create something that is 
uh, truly committed to liberation or, you know, to uplifting fellow humanity? I think first and foremost, and I, and I'm pretty happy to say a lot of us doing that now is to enter those spaces. Like, you know, do not be afraid to, uh, do trial and error, error, learn, get, get, you know, get, become competent in whatever skills you're trying to get to, and then establish yourself as that instructor, as that trainer, as that, uh, as that, you know, up and coming manufacturer for certain items that people need, right? And being that resource, because what's what's really important right now is being that space and resource that's not just that that is representative of the people that you want to help, right? So we start changing the idea that, oh, I have to go to some fucking ch- trainer to understand how to use a handgun, or I have to go to, uh, you know, oh, this, this one company to have a good piece of equipment or AR. It's, it's now taking up more space. Do not be afraid to establish, of, establish space and reach out to those people that need to. Like, I think we are getting past the point where we have to, you know, kind of low-key, like, hide ourselves, things like that. I'm not saying don't practice OPSEC, but I am saying, you know... Um, change the you which change that culture as you as you put it you have to be that person that's upfront facing and being hey i'm here i'm this is who i am right now and i am one of you right i'm not afraid of that because that inspires people it's beyond being that immediate resource you're also inspiring people to do more things which i would argue what uh you know tactical girlfriend or on margins and uh you know those kind of um influencer types and trainers like that is what's really inspiring people because tell you right now like the their rise in popularity in terms of uh just followers etc was like incredibly fast like i i can't even comprehend like if you tracked when it first came out like tactical girlfriend as an example um when she first started the channel versus like how much it grew in like three months, it was insane how much it grew. Yeah. Which tells you that there is that that element, that niche, that 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 uh, audience that's been looking for this for so long. Right. They exist. And they're they're in greater numbers than you realize. We're just not loud because we're not as established to fucking right wingers, right? So like what I guess my main thing is just like be more outspoken, be more of that uh resource that you and I wish we had when we were starting out right yeah yeah no you're absolutely right i i don't have anything to add to that that's um i think that's a pretty uh straightforward way to put it um yeah and uh, i realized we we agreed to talk about this but we never uh we never actually did the last thing the truly last thing yeah what um what got you into guns in the first place specifically like in the political context of being anti-capitalist ah. being Asian, how did that come about? I, well, I have always had a fascination with firearms. I mean, I grew up with, you know, video games and movies and TV shows. I mean, I'm probably golden. I was a huge influence in that, in that <laughs> regard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but like, uh, so that was even before I even had a political ideology. I was in the guns. Right. And, and, and yeah. like going, growing up, through my you know my formative years like teenage years like i had some right-leaning tendencies like reactionary beliefs but i never really truly considered myself right wing ever i was mm-hmm. liberal kind of at most for being honest and then over time like you know i became a leftist my my first 
foray into like being like a baby left was like Bernie Sanders. That's how he was for a lot of people, right? Because his ideas yeah. made sense, and he he made it. He he popularized the idea, funny enough, of just like caring about your fellow man, like caring about people, like and and realizing that oh, we don't need to just be under the thumb of fucking rich assholes who don't care about us. And that's kind of what got me more into it. And over time, I came, I pushed more and more left as I realized contradictions in our modern day society. And basically, what I realized. Um, it was a weird time period where when I was like super liberal at a certain point, like um, I uh, like, like in my college years became like super liberal and I, I was like anti-gun because all the mass shootings that were being, you know, pushed out in the news or whatever. And um, as I became more of a leftist, I refound my passion for firearms because now I knew that there was a purpose behind it because of the historical understanding of popular movements in the leftist history uh yeah. revolutions things like that that there is a place for that fire for that fire music they wouldn't just oh i'm a hobbyist and i'm in i'm into just you know larping i'm just into uh shooting things for fun or whatever no like that these can be uh tools that can help people it can defend people who need it the most and i i viewed it now as a resource much like wealth much like healthcare. that these are things that people need it's, it's an essential need self-defense things like that so it, it was a it, it was a great uh way for me to connect my leftist beliefs now back to my passion of firearms now because now it all made sense I, it wasn't just a hobby anymore it wasn't just me being a stupid little kid that watched too many action movies now there was a reason behind it so i kind of refound my uh passion for firearms getting into uh you know leftist leftist beliefs okay that actually sounds uh, pretty familiar, um, pretty similar to my own uh, mm-hmm. journey. Um, so my my background, my uh, maternal grandfather, he he was like a lifelong NRA member, and he kind of instilled in me the initial appreciation for firearms. Um, one of my uncles was an Army Ranger back in the back in the eighties. Another uncle, um, he was uh, some sort of champion competitive shooter back in back in his day i don't i couldn't tell you when mm-hmm. but so i i started from a young age um at least being somewhat associated with firearms uh i actually uh turned against firearms especially in light of um sandy hook mm-hmm. and in light of the aurora shootings and whatever else because i i was certainly uh you know myself uh within solidly within the like liberal political kind right. of perception of the world and and of course, this was during my time in the military, where I I did not recognize the contradictions that were present as a, an individual citizen, you know, being against guns and yet supporting the use of the military, right. um, you know, or the use of firearms within the military context. And so I was sitting on deployment, and I was talking to a, uh, a fellow service member. And uh, he was basically calling me out for being like anti-gun. And I was like, yeah, I don't really see any personal need for firearms. I certainly recognize the need for firearms in a uh, military context. And at the time, I was a field artillery officer. So like not just firearms, but fucking cannons. That's what I was, you know, that's where I came from. And then uh, this was 2015 into 2016. I got home from the deployment and uh, Trump got elected. And I started recognizing the white supremacist um, political contingents and and the other kind of sketchy uh, organizations or or groupings, whatever. 
and and I quickly realized I, I also started reading on the history of the Black Panther Party, and I was like, right. oh, I done fucked up. I had the wrong idea about guns. Right. And I, I would agree. Like, I, I, you're right. Like, I feel like you and I are very similar on, on that front. You know, obviously, I'm not from the military, but that realization and the development of, of our respective ideologies in the in relation to firearms usage, like, definitely the Trump administration was also the major push for me as well. Like, I, um, that kind of gave me more of my drive, right, to understand because now I was seeing him front facing, like, yeah. oh, here are oh out and about fascists, and who are the people that own guns? Oh, also fascists. There's a fucking problem here, and that needs to yeah. be turned around, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, I, I realized the uh, the error of my ways, and I I started moving towards uh, I don't know if agenda is the right word or a you know s- some sort of policy prescription where I said, you know what, guns are necessary, but I I adopted it first on an individualist level, and then mm-hmm. more as a programmatic level where it was like you know what i recognize that in order to achieve any form of political power firearms may be necessary for that Uh and and again that's not to say that i'm trying to encourage any sort of uh, violent act or action to be taken to achieve those things but more as just an academic understanding of how historically the world has worked and projecting those understandings into uh, trying to analyze what the near term and longer term political trajectory might look like it's like you know what guns might be a significant part of that overall uh process okay yeah no yeah i agree uh, yeah so um look i i will say that i certainly have learned the error of my ways and um you know i i cannot now conceive of firearms as being somehow distinct from the process of liberation or the process of achieving political agency because um i mean global history really has has all of the all of the record that i need to justify that position right yeah you and me both yeah yeah so yeah um yeah that's uh that's kind of all i uh, i have to talk about um are there any last bits about yellow peril tactical yeah. or any, anything else you want to kind of touch on before we wrap this up? Yeah. I would just want to, I would on and just say right here, like do not be afraid to teach people. And I, and I, I may have said earlier about certain people pushing out wrong information, but as long as you are doing your due diligence and you have the fundamentals done correctly, like even teaching someone the basics of just how to use a gun, not to be afraid of you are now a valuable resource to people around you. I I guarantee you there are people around you, friends, family, who are nervous about getting into gun ownership, but they know deep down inside they want to and or need to. You can be that person that's a low cost resource to get them into that and get them into the you know uh their foot through the door so to speak and to become more competent and ready to defend themselves and uh you know be able to be safe so do not be afraid to teach everyone everyone can be a teacher i know that uh i I just taught a fucking class today matter of fact part of the reason why i'm so damn exhausted and kind of delirious i'm talking right now but it's really it's just all about 
breaking down, being honest with your skill set, and then being able to translate them for other people. And in terms of Yellow Power Tactical, that's what we all try to do together as a collective for everyone across the board. And uh, you know, stay tuned to any upcoming dry fire sessions we might be doing. Look at our posts, get some educate, get some good uh, historical context and training tips out of it. And I will say right now, we are intending to start our own podcast, Yellow Power Tactical. Uh, fairly soon that's still in the works right now and of course we'd love to have alejandro on um it'd be great and i'll be sure to quickly right now plug in our stuff we are you can find us on yellowperiltactical.com so that's yellow and peril like p-e-r-i-l tactical and then on instagram is our primary way that you can reach us and check us out is yellow underscore peril underscore tactical on instagram so that's kind of all we have in this front right now before we start maybe expanding a little bit more. But yeah, like, thanks for having me on. I had a lot of lot of fun. I learned a lot from speaking with you. So thank you. Yeah, no, I I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank whoever is listening. Uh, honestly, I'm probably going to cut this up into a couple of parts because I think this has been like a three hour conversation. It's very long. I, yeah. I would encourage that. It, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely been long. But um, no, I I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me especially as as i'm trying to kick this project off and get the perspectives of various uh you know leftist groups and and working class people um i i certainly felt that i've learned a lot and i look forward to uh you know working with you guys and and specifically promoting yellow peril i, I as i said earlier I, I love the work you guys are doing thank you um i think that the i've seen a couple of like infographics you guys have put out about like the los angeles riots and right yeah the way that um racism impacted those yeah and um yeah i'm sure you guys are going to continue to put out a lot of good information and so yeah um so you said uh on instagram yellow peril tactical was your handle right uh on yeah, that's our collective handle. So yellow okay. underscore peril underscore tactical. And that's really, you know, all you need right there. Okay. That's our primary way of putting stuff out. So yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. If if you are listening to this, please be sure to follow your yellow peril tactical and uh, also give uh, a follow to the hammer and pistol project at hammer and pistol, all one word. And Soju operator, I cannot thank you enough for your time this evening. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's be sure to keep in touch and um, keep these conversations going, and and hopefully figure out a better way forward for the left and uh, you know anti-capitalists at large to explore the gun world. Yeah, let's let's do it together, just the two of us. We'll figure it out. <laughs> awesome. All right. All right. Well, yep. Have a good night. You too. Later. If you like the work we're doing at Hammer and Pistol and would like to help grow the project, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash hammer and pistol. For as little as $1 a month, you can help provide the funding to cover the costs of hosting this podcast, and I am also working on putting together some perks for all of my patrons. You can like the project on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at hammer and pistol. If you have any ideas for the show, feel free to drop a message wherever you can find us on social media, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. The goal of this project is to explore the philosophy of violence and defense, and to demystify the gun and other tools of defense, both from a working class perspective and a decolonial perspective. 
I admit that I am still undergoing my own journey of political and philosophical development as I learn theory, especially in relation to guns. And I thank you for your time as you undertake this journey with me. Until next time. Gringo, go home! Los obreros de América Latina te dicen, Gringo, go home! Yankee, go home! Levanten tus manos la bandera de la revolución, América Latina obrera y grita con fuerza, Yankee, go home!